Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Our Father, we thank you for the touch that you have had on all of our lives. Lord, for the change that you have wrought in us, not through any efforts of our own, but through the Holy Spirit applying your incredible and gracious and saving and atoning work to our lives. Lord, we recognize that we are unworthy of such grace, that there is nothing we could ever do to earn it, which is precisely why you came. Lord Jesus, we magnify you and worship you and anyone who would claim any teaching that is apart from your lordship, we would avoid so that we may know you and know you crucified. Lord, may we come into this time in your word, not looking to have our ears tickled, not having come to hear the wisdom of man, but to hear the word of the Lord explained and applied. May we leave here with a higher view of who you are and what we have when we came. Lord, may we be better prepared to have answers for those who think differently. And to that end, move me aside so that your word can go forth in the hearts of your people and the lives of your saints to the expansion and growth of this church and to the expansion of your kingdom. For your glory and your glory alone, we pray, amen. I trust you are familiar by now with 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses three and four. We've been looking at this verse for, this group of verses for a couple weeks and applying it to the, uh, the issue of the current movement of social justice that is afoot in our country. Uh, let me say this. Uh, I want to say thank you guys uh, for your feedback. Um, this is not my favorite series I've ever done. I, I don't like uh, responsive sermons. You know me. I like to just get into the Word and unfold the Word. And, and uh, this has not been that kind of series, but uh, so many of you have had so much positive feedback and You've been so thankful and, um, and have shared so much um, that uh, I just really appreciate that. That has really kind of kept me going through this time. And we've even gained a few uh, regular podcast listeners from it, from what I understand. So, uh, so we're certainly thankful for that as well. We are looking at the critical race theory and social justice movement. I was really hoping to... Bring it to an end today. I was, uh, there are two more facets of it we need to look at, and I was hoping to be able to combine them all into one today and just kind of be done with it, but, uh, but this one is uh, just a little too important. And in fact, I believe this tenet is probably the most dangerous aspect of the critical race theories and the social justice movement. So we, need, we do need to take our time with it. And uh, next week, we will get a break with the, uh, with the Gideon speaker. I'm looking forward to that, uh, probably as much as you are, probably even more so. So, uh, so anyway, um, but we are looking at this, this movement that is afoot in our schools, it is in our government, it is in our colleges, it is coming into our churches with a ramming force of a battering ram, 
And uh, the last thing I want is should God call me home, um, I'm not planning to leave. My prayer is that I would die right here in this pulpit. Uh, but uh, should God call me somewhere else or God call me home, the last thing I want is for someone to follow me and bring some of this stuff to Calvary Baptist Church. I want you to be informed. I want you to be on guard. And I want you to be ready for that. And so we are looking at critical race theory and intersectionality and how it is making so many inroads into the church. And we're looking at what they say and why it is such a dangerous, dangerous thing. You know, in the early church, uh, as early as the first century, there was a heresy that creeped into the, uh, the, the early church fathers. Uh, we see the beginnings of it even in the New Testament. In the writings of 1 John, he is already fighting against uh, these people. He is already uh, arguing against these things. We start to see kind of an incipient form of it in the book of Colossians, even as early as the writings of the Apostle Paul. Their ideas are starting to take shape. I won't get into the specifics of what they taught, but their basic teaching was that there is a secret knowledge that is only available to a privileged person to a privileged people. It's a higher understanding, a secret knowledge that is only given, to which they only are given access to. No one outside their group was able to grasp it. That early heresy, you've probably heard of it, is called Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. You use this word all the time. For example, uh, when you get a diagnosis from your doctor, that means they know what's wrong with you. Uh, if you get a prognosis, that means that's how long they expect for you to live. We use this word gnosis all the time, and it comes from this word gnostic, which means someone who knows it is a knowledge, a secret knowledge that is only available to a higher select, only available to those who have a higher intellect and a higher connection with God. Many in the early church fathers wrote to combat this group of heresies, but it was appealing because if you think about it, it is the pride of being in the know. Have you ever noticed that, how much we like to be the one who knows? Have you ever noticed that? Go to any prayer meeting. <laughs> we like to be the one who knows, don't we? We do. Sometimes we're raised to be the first one to get the prayer request out because we want to be the one who knows the information, right? There is a pride of being in the know. And so you can understand why this kind of teaching would appeal to the human flesh because it's the idea that I am right and everyone else is wrong. You know, if the world would listen to me, it'd be a better place. Don't you think so? I don't know about that, but I do know that if movie characters would listen to me, they would survive a lot more serial killers than what they do. So it's a pride of being in the know. And you can see why it's alluring. It's the common claim of cults had extra revelation. It also fuels a lot of conspiracy theories that we see out there in the web today, wackos with websites, just all kinds of ridiculous claims. In other words, Gnosticism is alive and well in our society today. 
It is, it is coming back in a big way. And one of the ways that it is coming back is through this critical race theory and why it is gaining so many proponents, both in the culture and in the church. It's one of the reasons why I believe CRT and the modern social justice movement is so dangerous to the church. And I believe that this is by far the most dangerous aspect to it. The most dangerous and you'll see why. Paul warned in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, that in latter times, people will fall from the faith. Why? Because they will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Beloved, the way that Satan gets into the church is through demonic doctrines that are not consistent with the word of God. It starts off very small. It usually starts off with a neglect of doctrine. And so the church loses a sense of themselves. And after a while, they start to kind of lose their identity. They start to kind of lose members. And they say, well, what do we need to do about this? We need to come up with a new identity. And usually it comes with some kind of social work or some kind of uh, uh, community work. And next thing you know, the church is a, is a social um, organization entity doing charity work around the, around the community, which is good, but they've lost all sense of the doctrine. They've lost all sense of the gospel. We've seen this before. We've seen it time and time and time again. It used to be the social gospel that we had to fight, and now it is critical race theory. Beloved, make no mistake, doctrine divides. It is the truth that brings us together. It is the truth that unifies, but understand that false doctrine will divide. It will divide, and we just have to be ready for that. And so in our controlling text, and Mark had it up there, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, three and four, uh, Paul says, I'm afraid for you that you are being led astray from a, from a genuine and pure devotion to Christ. Why? Because every time someone comes in and they bring a different Jesus, it was a question of lordship, you receive a different spirit. It's a question of illumination that we're going to talk about today. Or you hear a different gospel than what you have received. And we're going to talk about that next week. And every one of the tenets of social justice, every one of the tenets of critical race theory, CRT, it are, are falling into these things. We saw last week that it's a question of lordship. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to the hegemonic powers or are, we, or are we submitted to the lordship of Christ? And today we're gonna ask the question, who says? Who has the right to speak? And the third warning about critical race theory is simply this, that it's dangerous to the Christian because it advocates listening and receiving a different spirit than what you have received. It is a doctrine of demons. It is a deceitful spirit. That doesn't mean that there's not true things about it, that they don't notice true problems. And I wanna make that clear. I think they are responding to legitimate issues, but it's not the answer. And it is creating far worse. So how does it do this? And to see this, once again, we need to look at the claims that they're making. And the third basic aspect of of critical race theory that you need to be aware of is that they say that the oppressed group, remember you're divided into two groups, oppressors and oppressed, 
And remember that, that the oppressed rule through uh, culture, they rule through norms and values by oppressing everybody else with those things. But now they're gonna say that the oppressed group has a special knowledge that is based solely on their ethnicity or their gender or you take your pick. In other words, being a person of color or being a member of a minority group gives you special insight or knowledge that is not available to everyone else. In other words, if you're simply, if you are, if you are a Christian white man, you simply do not know these things. That's the, that's the, that's the claim. And how do they express this? Well, they express it in a few ways. Uh, first of all, it's a question of assumptions. It's a question of assumptions. And you're gonna hear this in different ways. For example, this was originally a feminist idea that came out in the 60s. And the feminist word for it is standpoint theory. Standpoint theory, you will hear that. You will also hear voice of color thesis. That's a new one. Uh, the newest one, which is specific to CRT, is uh, legal storytelling and counter storytelling. I like how Bodhi Bauckham refers to it. He simply calls it ethnic Gnosticism. Ethnic Gnosticism. And I think that's a very apt description of it. Because here's what they say. They say that if you are a member of a minority group or you have any number of intersections of oppressed groups, then you have access to this understanding that no one else does outside of your group. For example, Richard Delgado in his introduction to CRT, he says this, that minority status, in other words, brings with it a presumed competence to speak about race and racism. And he goes on to say that members of this country's dominant racial group cannot easily grasp what it's like to be anything else. In other words, if you're part of the dominant group, if you're a Christian, if you're white, if you're a man, you just don't understand Maybe you remember the old song from uh, uh, The Fresh Prince. I can't remember what it was called back then, but parents just don't understand. Well, you found out when you grew up, your parents actually did understand, didn't they? Yeah. And so this is, uh, this is what they say. In other words, because of your minority, sentence, your, your minority status, you are able to communicate truths and ideas that whites are simply unable to know. And why is this? because of ignorance. In fact, uh, Robin DiAngelo in her book, White Fragility, she says this, we must be willing to consider that unless we have devoted intentional and ongoing study, our opinions are necessarily uninformed, even ignorant. So unless you are, unless you have devoted intentional and ongoing study, by the way, you should read there, read my books, then you are uninformed and you are ignorant. Now, doesn't that just warm your heart? Doesn't that make you feel really good? Boy, that's unifying, isn't it? Let's all come together because all you guys are ignorant. Boy, that just makes me wanna jump around a campfire and sing Kumbaya with these people, doesn't it, you? <laughs> I'm not advocating that. <laughs> But do you hear how arrogant this is? How incredibly arrogant it is? 
That's why Vody refers to it as ethnic Gnosticism. Any opinions of racism that is offered from a perspective other than theirs is conceived as ignorant, uninformed, and in the case of D'Angelo, it's a symptom of white fragility. In other words, if I try to offer a counterargument, all I'm doing is proving I'm a racist. That's all I'm doing in their minds. It's a pretty good setup if you think about it. You set up an indestructible argument. If you agree with me, that means you're a racist. If you don't agree with me, you're just showing your white fragility, which means you're a racist. You can't lose, right? By the way, if you know anything about logic, you know that that is a fallacy of unfalsifiability. In other words, there's no meaningful test that you can give that would falsify that evidence that it passes. By the way, Christianity has a falsifiable evidence, doesn't it? What is it? The resurrection. And guess what? It passes with flying colors. But if, if no matter what you do, no matter what you say, whether good or bad proves my argument, then it is a meaningless argument. It is, it is a logical fallacy. That's exactly what these guys are doing. But as we saw last week, logic and reason is one of the ways that we oppress people. Remember that? That's why they don't go for these arguments. So we can't know, but what they do say is that we can become enlightened. Remember, if we, if we devote serious study and serious time to their writings, we can become enlightened, and that's what they mean when they say the word woke. With a lot of effort, you can become woke. There are others who began using the term racial reconciliation for wokeness. Uh, that's very new. In fact, I, in all honesty, I think that most people who say the term racial reconciliation, I don't think this is what they're talking about. But once again, what are these people doing? They're taking words that everybody uses, that everybody can agree with, and they're changing the definitions so that they can then turn around and say, see, this is exactly what we're talking about. We've seen that. Now, what about that? There's some truth to this. Our experience do have a profound role in our interpretations of life, do, do they not? Of course they do. We, our experiences do have a profound way in which we shape and understand the things that happens in our lives. Nobody's arguing that. But what's the problem here? It's a question of authority. It's a question of authority. See, if they stop there, we could almost say, okay, we have some common ground here. But they don't stop there. They go on. Sandra Harding, the leading feminist scholar of her generation, here's what she says. Standpoint theories map how a social and political disadvantage can be turned into, in big words there, but notice at the end, political advantage. In other words, it's not just a matter of insight. It's not just a matter of perspective. It is a matter of advantage that my experience, and more to the point, my interpretation of my experience should have advantage over everything else in the political, in the moral, and yes, even in the criminal justice sphere. And we are seeing this everywhere. 
It's not just about perspective. It is about advantage. The mentality is all the way through all of the grievance studies, starting with Karl Marx himself and goes all the way through to now CRT. In other words, the the experiences of oppressed groups are a greater truth than facts, logic, and reason. My experiences speak more and more to the point, my interpretation of my experiences speak more and is a greater truth than anything else and it should be elevated above everything else. Even the word of God in the case of some evangelicals. You hear this all the time. People are encouraged to do what? Speak your truth. It's what they're talking about. It's not just the truth, it's the interpretations of their experiences. They argue that their experience is the only truth and the quest and belief in a universal truth and knowledge that is objective and universal that comes from something higher and greater than us is a means of white supremacy. The quest for objective knowledge, the scientific method, is a means of oppression, according to these people. That's why the modern social justice movement has been filled and fueled with misrepresentations and outright lies. And yet they are parroted over and over and over again in the news, the news media, and schools, and even by some Christian leaders. I mean, here's a great example. Breonna Taylor. I watched the press conference that the Kentucky Attorney General gave on the investigation of Breonna Taylor and her killing. And I thought that he handled it very well. He was very compassionate. Beloved, it is a tragedy that Breonna Taylor died. It should not have happened. Amen? We do not want the loss of any life whatsoever. We want all to live and we want all to be saved and be in the kingdom of God. That's what we want. It is a tragedy that this young woman died. He went through the very process of explaining all the facts, very thorough process, all the facts, dispelling several myths that have come from that. Myths like, for instance, she was shot in her sleep. She was not. Myths like it was a no-knock warrant, it was not. They, they were knocking for several minutes on the door and then they finally made the decision to breach. The, 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 the myth that the officers fired first, that is not true. It was actually her boyfriend that fired first and wounded an officer. And so they responded with deadly force, all of these things. And then he opened up the press conference for questions and the questions were very revealing. You know what the questions were all about? What was the racial makeup of your investigative team? How many races were represented on the grand jury? In other words, the facts didn't matter. The truth didn't matter. What mattered is whether or not our perspective was represented. That's all that matters. And why is that? Because it is ethnic Gnosticism. Because it comes from this idea that my truth, my experience, and my interpretation of those things should trump everything else. 
And this is why it is so dangerous. Think about the threat that this poses to education. Think about the threat that this poses to criminal justice. Think about the threat that this poses in our churches. Beloved, if we are not people of truth, the truth, if Christ is not the way, the truth, and the life, then what in the world are we doing here? Amen? You can see the threats that this is causing. And people are coming into pulpits and they are claiming their truths instead of the truth. And this is happening in Southern Baptist churches. In fact, uh, a few years ago at the state convention, a preacher got up and preached and I don't know what his primary text was. He wasn't exegeting it. I don't even remember how he got on it, but somehow he started preaching from the fairy tale Humpty Dumpty. And he, and he gave it lots of flair and all of this. And beloved, to hear those preachers amening and hooting and hollering the way they were, you would think that John the Baptist himself was up there preaching. And I remember looking at all that thinking this is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. We don't get this excited over the word, but we will get this excited over Humpty Dumpty because of the personality that's in the pulpit. That's a shame. And that's an indictment against our churches. Beloved, we need to be people of the word, not people of fairy tales and nursery rhymes. Humpty Dumpty has no place in the pulpit. He deserves to fall and bow the head to Jesus Christ, which is who this book is all about. And so it's incredible. It's basically a fancy way of saying there is no truth. So to arrive at social justice, we need to hear the truth of others. We need to elevate other, ver other voices. And this is what they'll say. We need to hear other ways of knowing. I don't even know what that means. How is there other ways of knowing? How in the world do you know something another way? I don't even get that. And as I mentioned earlier, church leaders are parading these things and proclaiming them that are simply factually false. They're parroting them and playing right out of the playbook of CRT manuals and calling the church to repent for things that we are not guilty of. Beloved, you do not have to repent for the sins of your ancestors. And yes, they were sins. But it is not your responsibility to repent of sins that happened 200 years ago. Is every one of us in this room, do we have ancestors that probably owned slaves? Probably. Is that your fault? No. And we corrected it. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention on three occasions passed resolutions unanimously that said that we are ashamed and we are apologized for the slave history of our past. And guess what? They did that without the help of CRT. They did it by the Holy Spirit, which is all we need, which is all we need. They're fueling and reimagining things and denying the scripture's authority. And so that's enough of that. Let's get to a biblical response here. How, how do we respond to these things? And I wanna, I wanna give you just some quotes from church leaders. In some cases, they're more influential than others, but I wanna give it to them and I just want to answer them. And um, 
and I meant to announce this to begin with, but we're going to look at Second uh, Peter chapter one. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Second Peter chapter one. We are going to spend just a little bit of time here because I want you to see how important this is to the church. Second Peter chapter one. And what is our what is our response? How can we faithfully respond to these claims when we see them in our churches, when we see them in society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's coming into our schools. How can we respond to this? Well, number one, there are, there are basically three doctrines that we need to understand. Number one is the doctrine of Scripture. The doctrine of Scripture. And what do I mean about this? What about this idea that experience is the greatest source of truth? Look what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I've, and I've shared these concepts with you before, so you're going to be familiar with them, but, but just to jog your memory, and for those of you who maybe uh, have not heard this explanation, Peter is, is telling them in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about an experience that we were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ, right? And so, and he's gonna go to a specific time. In verse 17, he says, we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So let me ask you a question. Where, what is Peter talking about here? The transfiguration, that's exactly right. You may remember in the book of Matthew, the book of Luke, and the book of Mark, there, it's recorded in all three, but you may recall that Peter, James, and John were brought up to the mountain where they saw Christ in kind of a preview of his glory. And you remember there were two people with him, right? Who were they? Moses and Elijah, that's right. And so as Jesus is talking to him in kind of a pre-glorified state, uh, the three disciples, they, they kind of wake up to what's going on and they see what's happening. And now I want to make, make something abundantly clear here that this is actually something that happened. It is recorded in the scriptures. It is inspired. It is a true and faithful record of what actually took place. And Peter says, we were there. We were eyewitnesses. We saw this, right? But do you remember what happened next? What happened? Peter said, Lord Jesus, it's good that we are here to see this. Let's make three tents. He's talking about tabernacles. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. By the way, what would that have done? That would have elevated Moses and Elijah to the same status as Jesus, ultimately to Godhood, right? And what happened? The voice came out of heaven and stopped Peter dead in his tracks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? You remember that? This was a true experience. It actually happened. But Peter misinterpreted the significance. Do you see that? Peter misinterpreted what his experience meant. 
And so going on in 2 Peter verse, chapter one, what does he say in verse 19? And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was produced by the will of man. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't Peter's experience that was a problem. It was that he misinterpreted the significance of his experience. That was the problem. And so Peter says, we have a more sure word. We have the word of God. Do you see that argument there? You know, a few years ago, uh, this is before I came here, I gave a critique. It was another response sermon on, you know, back a few years ago, these touring heaven books were real popular. Uh, heaven is for real as if we need a nine-year-old boy to tell us that. Uh, one of those books, the boy has admitted that he lied about the whole thing. So many others. But, you know, someone asked me when I did that critique, they said, uh, you know, Randy, you weren't there. Uh, how, you can't judge their experience. How can, you, how can you say that it didn't happen? And you know what? They got a point. I cannot judge your experience. If I was there, even then, I don't know what you were feeling inside. I, still, I don't know what was going on in your head. I cannot judge your experience. But on the other hand, I can take what you say about your experience and compare it to God's word. And that's the issue. That's the issue. The experience is not the issue. Oh, and I can also compare it to facts and I can also compare it to truths. The nurse that was in Colton Burpo's room when it happened, she said he never died. It was just a marketing ploy. And so the point is, is that we can take what you say about your experience and compare it to facts and compare it ultimately to the truth of God. And that's called discernment. And there is a shocking lack of discernment in the church today. That book should not have been able to fall off the bookshelf of a Christian, much less sell six million copies in nine months. It's unreal. He misinterpreted the significance of it. Truth must stand upon everything else. We interpret our experience by truth, not the other way around. Amen? Truth is what sets us free. And when, we, and when we change our lives and when we change our patterns and when we change our behavior to, to come more in line and consistent with truth, that is when we find freedom, beloved. That is where freedom from the oppression of sin comes. That is where true life comes the words of God are the words of life and the more we are consistent in our lives to the word, the more freedom we will have. So it's a doctrine of scripture. It's also a doctrine of sufficiency, the sufficiency of scripture. Phil Vishner, the creator of VeggieTales turned social activist, he says this in a tweet. He says that we need to listen to voices who study the issues and have had the experiences. 
I want you to notice a couple of things he says. Number one, he says voices, not experts. We need to listen to voices. One translation committee got together and said that uh, there should never be another translation of the word of God made unless it includes the voices of women and African-Americans. What about people who know Greek and Hebrew? That's all you need. You don't need voices. You need scholars who know the languages and can translate it accurately. That's what you need. You don't need voices. You need scholars. But notice this, he doesn't say, he says, and those who have the experiences, not or. In other words, if you have the, if you have the study, but you have not had the experiences, then you are still disqualified, according to Phil Vishner. By the way, don't throw away your VeggieTales CDs, uh, DVDs. This, you know, those were released long before he got into this. So. And he doesn't even own them anymore. In other words, if you're not willing to be woke, you don't even qualify as an expert. If you're not willing to be woke, you're not even allowed to speak. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven would disagree with Phil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Beloved, if I have an experience that I'm interpreting my life by and someone comes along and says, listen, this is not the truth. I I know how you feel, but you need to compare it to these facts. And if you are unwilling to listen to that, if you are despising that, then according to the word of God, you are a fool. You're unteachable. You're unmanageable. You're a fool. Beloved, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here know everything? (laughs) I see a lot of uh, husbands telling their wives, your hand should be up. (laughs) But if you're not willing to listen to wisdom and instruction then what kind of person are you? You think I'm right and everyone else is wrong? And if you disagree with me, it just proves that you're wrong? That's the mark of a fool. That's not the mark of wisdom. Mark of a fool is that they're unteachable, using their experience, and again, their interpretation of their experience, and they're not willing to be corrected by truth. In fact, is a symptom of Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Where do I go to obtain everything I need for loving my neighbor? Do I need to go to CRT manuals? Do I need to go to Robin DiAngelo or Richard Delgado or, or Jar, uh, Tisby, whatever his name is? Do I need to go to these guys? No, I need to go to the word of God. Why? Because 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 
Just above where we read, his divine power has granted to us all things, all things, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Beloved, you do not need anything else other than what you have been given. God is sufficient. His word is sufficient to teach you everything you know how to love one another and live a life of godliness in this world and the next. The Bible is sufficient. We don't need anything else. Say, Randy, what about the things they get right, though? I mean, do they not notice some things that are true about the world? Sure, sure they do. But beloved, if we're faithfully following the scriptures, we'll have those things covered. Psychology, years ago, discovered this thing. They thought they discovered it. This, they thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread for helping those who are addicted. They said, what you need to do is you need to get a bunch of loved ones together, maybe just four or five, six or seven, and get them all in a room and then have the loved one come in and sit down and say, listen, we love you and we can't watch you destroying your life anymore and we want you to get help. What is this called? An intervention, Right? And they thought that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Guess what? The church had it all along. Have you ever read Matthew 18? If one doesn't listen to you, then go with a few others and talk to them. What do you think it's talking about? We had it all along. If we're obeying the scriptures, then we've got it covered. And most of the most effective strategies in the world are things that the Bible has already said that they just discovered by common grace. We had it all along. Know that everything we are accountable, accountable for before our God in heaven is given to us in the Holy Scriptures. We are not held accountable for anything that is not in here. And the Bible says that the souls that sins shall die, the sins of the fathers will not be held against the sons, the sins of the sons will not be held against the fathers, all souls are mine, and the soul that sins shall die. Beloved, you do not have to repent of sins that happened hundreds of years ago. It's a false guilt that is being perpetuated on our society to gain power. And that's all it's really about. It's about power. It's all it's ever been about. You know, you can make a fortune being a plumber. You can. You can make a fortune. People have retired millionaires from plumbing. It's a lucrative business. And if you've had to pay a plumber lately, you know why. You can make a fortune. You can retire. You can, you can own a business. You can, you can do everything as a plumber. But 98% of all plumbers in America are men. You don't see women marching in the streets of Washington. You don't see them advocating. You don't see interest groups advocating for women to become plumbers, do you? Why? Because the feminist movement has never been about equality. It's about power. They want to be presidents. They want to be college presidents. They want to be 
uh, senators and all these things, nothing wrong with those things. In the church, they wanna be pastors. It's about power. It has never been about equality. So know that everything that we are accountable for before God in heaven is in the Holy Scripture. We must be teachable. We may, ner- we may learn new applications of his word, but his word is firm and confirmed in heaven for us. Eric Mason, the author of Woke Church, it is the bestseller of, of uh, evangelicals right now. He says in a sermon on YouTube that the Bible cannot tell us what it's like to be black in America or how to address systemic racism. Again, with all due respect to Mr. Mason, wrong again. John 16, 13, he tells the disciples that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth we need is in the word of God. Anything outside of it may be helpful. It may not be, maybe spirit, maybe truth, maybe error, but everything we're accountable for is in the Word of God. We need to move on. The last one, the doctrine of salvation. My little blinker is uh, all shades of red right now, so we need to wrap this up. But the doctrine of salvation. And talking about Aaron, Eric Mason, this is the most troubling things he says in that same YouTube sermon. He says over and over and over again, whiteness leads to blind hearts. Whiteness leads to blind hearts. Whiteness leads to blind hearts. He says it over and over and over again, having his congregation repeat it after him. Whiteness leads to blind hearts? Wait a minute. What blinds the hearts of men? Sin does. The God of this world does. Not Satan. Not the God of this world. Not sin. He is speaking out against whiteness. Blinding hearts. He is literally equating whiteness with sin. Being white is a sin. And he goes on to say that cancel culture is the correcting effect of the sin in others. According to Mason, our willingness to be silenced is a sign, is a strong sign of conversion. It's, it's not sin that we need to repent of. It is whiteness. The sermon that he says, the sermon that he said this was on the plagues of Egypt, which he said were protest. He says that anyone disagrees with CRT or social justice is in demonic darkness. So what we need to be saved from is our whiteness and our conversion is to shut up and support the cancellation of any others who don't agree with them. Beloved, that is not the gospel. That is not what we need to be converted from. That is not what we need to be converted to. You do not have, I love how John MacArthur says it, you do not have to repent from being white. You need to repent from being woke. The Spirit did not illumine that interpretation. It is, a, it is a symptom of Paul's warning in the last days that they will hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. Avoid such men. We need to be avoiding these people, not bringing them into our church. 
It is sin that causes blindness of heart. It is Satan who is the enemy of our souls. Our salvation is only found in the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. And we are not to shut up. We are to take that message to the ends of the earth and proclaim it to every creature, every nation, every tongue, until the whole world is filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do. Eric Mason tells me to shut up. Jesus tells me to shout out. Guess which one Calvary Baptist Church is going to obey? I will not put up. I will not shut up. I will not give up. I will not do anything like that until Jesus returns. Because I want the whole world to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So beloved, who are you listening to? Who says... Don't listen to these demonic teachings. This is the most dangerous of all. They are trying to overturn our churches, overturn our our court systems, overturn our education. They're trying to do all of that. And so many churches are buying it, hook, line, and sinker. Beloved, don't do that. The word of God is all we need because it is given to us by the spirit of God so that we may know the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord that we may have a home in heaven with God. And if that's the message, and if you are depending on any message other than that, you are depending on a false gospel. Social justice is not the answer. Conversion is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer because he is the only one who can change you from the inside out. He's the only one who can take a racist and turn them into someone who loves all nations. He is the only one who can take someone who hates God and transform them into someone who loves God. He is the only one who can say that I I know everything to someone who humbly bows and learns at the feet of Jesus. He is the only one who can change us, beloved. And if you are not in Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You can have that hope before we leave today. And I pray that if the Spirit is working on you, that I'll be here after service. We're actually going to begin invitations here in the next couple weeks again. But understand that the invitation is always open. I'm here. There are so many who would love to talk to you that you can know Christ as your Savior and your Lord and you don't have to bow down to these other things. May we be people of the truth. This is heresy. And we need to be on guard, guard our hearts. Our Father, we thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all of the many blessings that you give us. And Lord, I I know I get excited about your truth, but Father, we want to correct with gentleness. We want to correct with love and truth, with compassion Lord, there are people who are hurting in this world, who have been wronged in this world, who are truly oppressed by coercion and other things. And Father, we want to be there for them, but but Lord, we are not victims. Your word tells us that in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Father, we want the people of this world to be conquerors through Jesus Christ. It is our faith that overcomes the world, faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would be exalted, that you would be 
worshiped throughout all the earth and by those who have heard this morning. It is in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.